welcome to the Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast, I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. In my role at rope I interview each artist as we prepare for the release of their new record. I want to get the backstory, a sense of their intent and motivation around their new release. I found that given the opportunity in a relaxed setting, you feel free to open up about life and the challenges of being a professional musician. This week, I have the pleasure of chatting with Nathan Deshaun Myers, one of the most intriguing people I've ever met. Nathan hails from Dallas, but is most well-known as a baritone with the Deutsche Opera Berlin, with roles in La Bohème and many others. He spent some time heading up the music department at Booker T. Washington High School in Dallas, a powerful spot for music community in Minnesota. And now, he graces us with his new music. The first single from his upcoming album was released in February, and it is a powerful piece that captures Nathan's vocal talent and his passion. Let's listen. How are things? You're a busy man. Yeah, I am. Things are going well. Um, right now, I'm, I'm working on uh, the musical In the Heights, I'm conducting it. So it's been kind of intense doing that every day uh, and also on the weekends. Um, you know, working on the on the like the preparation of the show, and then we just opened uh, with a preview on Wednesday night, and then we had a show uh, last night and and Thursday, and then we have a show tonight and tomorrow as well. So just kind of doing that and getting the school year started with uh, lots of new people that I had to hire uh, to to work in the school. So it's actually it's been a pretty busy time, but good. I mean, it's good busy, I think. Yeah, always, always good to be busy, it seems. Um, so tell me what, what school, because that, that'll be part of this history, and I'm going to pull up as we speak uh, the bio that we do have. Okay. Or is that coming off of yeah. your website at this point? Well, you can, you, can take it from, you can take it from either one, and while we're on here, I can actually email you uh, I got the latest. Yeah, you got it already? I got it, yeah. Oh, okay, awesome. Because there's, there's a lot of different things that, I, and, and I suppose uh, I'm, I'm working now at the, uh, the Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing and Visual Arts, which is it's kind of a, an historical school for many different reasons because it was the, before it was an art school, it was a, a regular uh, public school, and it was the, one of the first and only schools for black students here in, in Dallas. And uh, and so, it's, interestingly enough, I've worked at both of those schools. There was Lincoln High School, which I worked at over 10 years ago, and then Booker T, which I currently work at, and I went to school there. Uh, but that's um, one of the one of the most cool things about that school is that, like all of the people that I work with currently, most of them uh, in the in the performing business, um, we all went to school together there. You know, from I mean, Sput and I both went there. We didn't go at the same time, but we both went there. Uh, Nora Jones and I went there together at the same time. And then, you know, people like Sput, uh, I mean, like uh, uh, Daniel, uh, Braylon, La- Bra- yeah, Daniel Jones, Braylon Lacey, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people uh, went to that school. And it's really cool to be in charge of the music conservatory there now. Um, and because I've, I've worked there, this is my seventh year working there and uh, my second year as the director of the conservatory. And it's, it's a big job because there's like 300 kids 
that I'm that I'm responsible for, and about twenty to twenty to thirty teachers that I'm responsible for. Um, you know, uh, include you know, including like private teachers, consultants, faculty members. You know, uh, and then we have lots of guest artists that come through. Uh, so it's a, it's an interesting experience. I get a chance to take my my experience in the business, uh, both in real time and in the past, and sort of use all of that experience uh, to to help the students understand what it takes to get into the business. You know, um, in a lot of different ways because I work with gospel students, I work with classical and opera students, um, and so just kind of taking that that wide gambit of, of experiences that I have and, and career interests that I have, uh, you know, and sort of sharing that with the students and that information and, and also those contacts too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a great place for us to start this discussion because uh, I've, we've had, I mean, obviously Booker T has, has come up a couple times uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in the discussion of a lot of the people uh, that have worked with us. Um, and the discussion of uh, Dallas community, uh, Booker T always comes up. I had the pleasure of uh, getting on the phone, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but Jason Davis and I, Jason connected me with this gentleman who told a long, and I'm going to revisit that from this, uh, you know, a long uh, verbal story of the history of uh booker t washington high school um and its origin and all of that and to me and it remains fascinating to me as i try Mm -hmm. to work on a kind of a community model in the music business Mm -hmm. uh, seems to be the the strongest and most inspirational spot so for for that so many People uh, have come up and, and from there and, and have and, and seem to continue to collaborate and to work together. Is, is that, yeah. I mean, is, that's, that's the fabric of the community, the church, and the school. Is that correct? Is, is yeah, that is, it, yeah, that's true. Because I think w- uh, one of the things, like just recently this week, uh, Daniel, was in, uh, Daniel Jones was in town touring, of course, with Jan Jackson. And as the music director for that tour, he was able to get a lot of uh, of the of the people from the tour on campus at the at the school uh, this week to kind of inspire the students through a panel discussion and Q and A, as well as a little bit of a performance uh, presentation um, before they had to do the show, you know, with Janet that evening. And so, it, you know, we're constantly working. I mean, I think you know uh, the idea of collaboration and sort of uh, recommendation of each other. We are constantly recommending each other for opportunities, um, and you know, bringing each other on for opportunities. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing. I mean, I, I've at Booker T since I've been the director of the conservatory, I've been able to hire uh, a few people because of vacancies that were made. You know, that that happened while I was uh, in this position, and two of those people um, have been graduates. Right. you know, right. uh, from the school and, and people that either I have worked with or other graduates have worked with. And so their work is very, uh, well known and their commitment to the vision is, is very solid. 
because they, they, they benefited from the vision in its origin. And now we're at a point 40 years later, able to kind of reset the vision and the mission to, to accommodate the changes in technology and accommodate the changes in society, but still keep the same message and keep the same heart there to where kids are encouraged to continue to work together, to see each other as future colleagues rather than just friends in school. Uh, because some of my closest friends are, are that I made there, you know. Mm. There, there, there's a there's a there's a capitalist construct called giving back, which always bothered me, and it, mm-hmm. it bothered me from a, the concept of like you know you should give back, but it mm-hmm. it was it's always weird to me, and I could never really put my finger on it. But as I watch what happens there in Dallas, the, the giving never stops. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There's no going away and coming back and going, oh, you're less fortunate here. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. One is viewed somewhat as as uh, equal in the process. Is that correct? Yeah, I think I think that's that's what we're trying to create this this kind of idea of not necessarily having people be less fortunate, more fortunate in the model, but just having people, you know, have more experience and less experience Uh, and and and. You know, you might know as well as I do that sometimes less experience or ignorance in certain areas can be blissful uh, because you will try things that you never knew you could or you want to be sort of governed by the um, the restraints of of what people say. Oh, this can't happen. Or, We've never done that. Or, it's never been done. It's just, it's just you know, because with young people, they don't know unless the older people tell them. And so a lot of times they have the courage to try things that have never been done. And many times they're inspired by uh, people coming in. But uh, I've also had this happen to where when an artist or a graduate comes back to the school, if we're able to sort of provide media attention or provide some sort of a a career uh, alignment with their visit, then it's a win-win. And so it's not just them giving back to the students, but it's also their presence on our campus that sort of solidifies certain things that are really great marketing tools for them too. You know, the idea that they're interested in the next generation, that they are willing to uh, to give to the next generation is a very powerful marketing tool uh, as well. I mean, when you're thinking of the business of, of everything, um, and, and it also gets them, it's an advertising thing because a lot of people, quite honestly, this past, uh, this past week, many people didn't know Janet Jackson as an artist, the way that we know her as an artist, you yeah. know, they knew her, they knew her connected to Michael Jackson. They didn't know all of her acting skills from when she was a kid. They didn't know all of the hit records that she had made. They, they didn't know all of that. They just knew some of the movies that she'd been in, you know, in the later years, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so it's interesting. It, it was really interesting to sort of work with, with one of the contemporary classes to sort of introduce or reintroduce in some cases, some of the music to her, uh, from her to them, uh, because it was an inspiration. And it also, what that means is that we're introducing an artist to another generation that, that you know may not have really taken the time to go and reach for that information but we presented it to them and that information alone inspired them and so that's a boost for an artist's career through recognition of their work yeah. and perpetuation you know perpetuation of their work 
you know, well, as well. Context, so, yeah, I mean, context seems to be the thing that comes out. What's missing mm-hmm. in today's world is is true context. Uh, exactly. You know, everything seems to put, be uh, 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 born every minute <laughs> in, on the internet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so people don't have they they don't have necessarily roots to know you know how far a person's life goes back and how long they've been working in that field uh, to gain whatever they, whatever they have right now or to have whatever they have right now. And so, you know, for the students who really are, are enamored with instant success and overnight success, it, it's a real learning opportunity for them to see, okay, well, this didn't just happen. You know, she didn't fill the arena with, with, with people or have such a long career just because she wanted to or it happened overnight. It was a long process of, of constantly building and constantly evolving with the changing times and allowing the artistry to get better. And so that was part of the context of the conversations that we were having that day, which I felt like was very powerful for the kids. And so, you know, our, our graduates are a big part of that. And, and, you know, and for me, I'm a very proud graduate of the school. And I feel like part of my mission there has been to to continue to sort of lay myself down as part of the bridge between the academic setting that is kind of contrived and a bit sheltered mm-hmm. to the reality, you know, to the real world setting. Uh, and that is a big part of my philosophical approach to teaching is that I have something to teach because I am constantly gaining experiences and creating opportunities in the real world for myself and others that when I speak to students about what they need to do in terms of training, in terms of commitment and dedication, et cetera, et cetera, I'm speaking from a, a real world, real time context. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me is a very important thing. And it has been at the center of my teaching philosophy ever since I started teaching. And which is why I constantly work to maintain my career, which could look like two or maybe even three different careers mm-hmm. when when I'm you know working in school because i I really enjoy teaching and giving to students uh, and and creating platforms for them to try out and to you know through trial and error their gifts, their talents, their skills. Uh, but then I also enjoy being on the stage because that as an artist myself, it, it gives me something to work towards and to sharpen my, my skills, which I, I then turn around and give them back to younger people. And, and that just keeps the, the, the cycle of learning and growing and artistry going in, in my own little way, you know, because I know that I'm just one person. Uh, but in my own little way, I feel like when I do that, I'm contributing to the industry in both, you know, from, from both sides or from all sides, you know. I, I, think, I think it's really remarkable. And, and this is good segue here. I mean, wh- what I, when you pr- present it that way, what I see from over here is that um, not one or two careers, as you say, but um, you present real world experience, but as a multifaceted, uh, diverse and, and complex individual, which is more real than uh, you, you start playing an instrument and then you become famous for that instrument. And then that's what you do for the rest of your life. Kind of a vibe, you know, the, the, exactly. you know, the, the, the new, 
the new music business, I'm not sure it was ever any different, uh, requires uh, a broader range of skills and experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and I can rephrase that. It offers a broader range of skills and experiences as well, you know? So yeah, that's true. How, how did you, in, in this process, to, for people to understand, uh, you know, who is Nathan Deshaun Myers, how did you come across this broad range of experiences? I mean, I see in your bio, uh, opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a record coming out. How would you describe the record on RSVP, uh, the music that's coming? Well, the music that's coming on RSVP is is sort of like an expression of of my heart because I think when I do opera, I'm expressive and I'm creative, but I'm I'm doing that through the lens or through the pen of someone that I, in most cases, never met, uh, and I have to sort of I'm left with interpretations of the work and ideas about the work that I then get a chance to sort of shape and frame my own interpretation in some ways uh, when it's when it's classical song or you know or in the sense of opera uh, you know sort of getting a chance to create the characters but through the lens of you know filtered through the director's perspective filtered through the cost you know the costuming designer perspective the the stage scenic designer perspective you know and then all the commentary from the from the composer himself or herself as well as any scholars that have worked on that you know done the research on that work um and then you know so i get a chance to sort of to to sort of present creatively but when when we're talking about the record i'm doing on rsvp that's my pen you know that that's that's me saying how i feel about my life and about the life that I experience in context to this world, you know, and, you know, so a lot of the pieces that are on this album have been either pinned or curated out of the, the desire to sort of communicate uh, the reality of my human soul and, and the ups and downs of it all. And the, the clear picture of what I see society as too. Uh, there are some social commentary pieces in, you know, in, on the album, uh, quite a, a lot of that actually, mm-hmm. uh, but not just socially, but, you know, um, um, but just kind of how we, how we interact with ourselves. You know, I think that the title, uh, the title of the record, I, I found my joy, that's got a really deep meaning for me, uh, because that was that that was written at a time where, where I was making a decision to, to see the joy and to experience joy on a regular, consistent basis. And that's a life philosophy. So it's, it's, it's a little bit of spirituality and life philosophy as well as social commentary. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I wish you, I wish you would is, is a social commentary on, you know, the, the social tensions between the races and the classes and, the, you know, in our country. And in our world that are sort of playing out themselves in our politics, they're playing out themselves in, you know, uh, the way that people interact with each other. Uh, and so I, that piece is a direct correlation to that. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, I, I wrote it prior to um, the Trayvon Martin, uh, uh, you know, situation when, when, you know, with David Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, I wrote it prior to that. But it, but that just, it just felt like, um, 
my writing seems to have this kind of forward motion in terms of thinking and ideas. And so some of the writing that I've, that I've done was kind of, you know, speaking to things that were happening or about to happen, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Um, and so, but either way, I think it, it creates this timelessness to the, to the record. I mean, uh, you know, misunderstood the cover that I did of misunderstood was a result of me sort of experiencing a lot of anxiety, uh, at the idea of being misunderstood, you know, spending a lot of time in my life prior to the point that I'm at now, you know, trying to explain to people uh, the multiplicity of offerings creatively that I was interested in because a lot of people couldn't see the correlation between opera and gospel or jazz and opera or, or all the different things that I'm interested in. Right. And so, uh, or, or the fact that I'm, I really am committed as an educator, uh, but I'm also really committed as an artist. And most people see those two things as separate. Like either, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach. Right. And I feel like, you know, I feel like I, I totally buck that idea because I feel like I am a true, real artist. Well, I know that I am. And then I, and then I know that I'm a true, dedicated educator, you know, in the, in the truest sense. And so in that way, uh, the misunderstandings that I've experienced over the years, I've had people say to me, you've got to make a choice. You, ha- you can't do both of these things. You've got to make a choice. And then here I am in 2017 doing both of these things, you know, um, and, and many of the people that many of the people who could not understand the, 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 the breadth of, of, of the, the investigation and the investment that I was making into all these different areas, they couldn't understand it 10 years ago, but now they do because me being able to have my, have a presence in the, in the arts community as a professional artist, and then having a presence in the academic community as a as a, a respected teacher and educator is beneficial to everybody in those in both of those areas because you know the respect that I have in the arts community allows me to pick up the phone and call my colleagues and say hey I'd like for you to come and work with my students because there's a certain thing that I think they have and I think you can help me bring it out of them you know Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that happened, you know, and at the same time, you know, saying to a student who, who might be already ready as I was, because I was 17 when I started professionally in opera, uh, and I was a student at the school. Uh, and so, you know, having, having the ability to say, Hey, you know, I've got this kid who's just amazingly talented and they need an opportunity to sort of test the waters you know, do you have something they can do? And then, you know, look up and, and maybe the Dallas Opera can put a kid on stage for it to be an extra on stage. Or, or you know, maybe some other company is looking for a singer for the national anthem or a wedding or this or that. And pushing those kids, preparing them and pushing them out, you know, that's the benefit of both of those things. But in the past, I've been really misunderstood about it. So that's why I kind of lean towards that piece as, as one of the pieces that I wanted to cover, you know, and, and, and I could go through every song in the record and sort of talk about its connection to the story that I feel like I'm telling, but that's what, that's what this record really represents for me. It represents the first time that I get to tell my story without any filters. Got it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, we, we can talk about a couple other songs because what we're going to also do uh, is is uh, splice an album stream with some of your commentary in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people have the opportunity to listen to the album with you talking about the tracks in between. Um, mm-hmm. Understand it a little better. Of course, we'll send that to you and you'll, you'll tell me if it's approved or not. But I, mm-hmm. I, and I did want to just ask about the one song, Misunderstood, who wrote that? Who wrote that song? Well, Misunderstood is a is a cover that I I took the the Nina Simone version of the piece and uh, it it's a it's a cover that I would say that uh, Spud rearranged the cover, uh, okay. but I'd have to go back and and look at the original composer of that piece, um, just to to make certain that it's we have the that we have the right it's composer. It's not the yeah, because it, it's that Eric Burden did. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, that is okay. Yeah, that's probably that's probably Eric Burden, I'm guessing, but I, maybe it's a traditional. Maybe he covered it, huh? Um, interesting. Mm-hmm. That song always uh, perplexed me when I was younger. Uh, oh no, it was the it was the animal. It was the animals that that did the piece the first time. Yeah, Eric yeah it was the an- yeah they yeah. So that that was the group that recorded it the very very first time, and it was sort of like this you know, kind of a hippie kind of tune. It was a really cool tune and I love the original version, but then I, I got kind of hypnotized by the Nina Simone version. Uh, it was a little bit slowed down, a little bit more sultry. Uh, and and I took I took that as sort of the starting point and that's, I think, what we sampled at the very beginning of that piece. So we used the sample from Nina Simone's version. Got it, got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's it's one of those timeless songs for sure. Um, let me just make a note here real quick. Um, so, the the one of the th- when we met in New York, um, one of the things that struck me, and this may be territory that you want to cover, or or maybe not, but um, one of the the things that struck me was your your presence and mm-hmm. your meticulous sense of style mm-hmm. uh, is this something that <laughs> you know this is some some people are permanently disheveled and you seem to be whatever the opposite of that is permanently sheveled uh, <laughs> sheveled and disheveled well yeah. i mean i've i've kind of always had a sense of style and i suppose if if we were to ever uh, have an opportunity to to let people see the one photo that I remember of my grandfather uh, on my mother's side. He was always, you know, according to the to the uh, reports that I get from my oldest family members, you know, he was a, he was a very well kept man, very well dressed all the time, uh, very particular about his about his shoes and his, his appearance was a very important thing to him. Uh, and then I have an uncle who who uh, is his son and my mother's brother. Uh, he was the same way, uh, and and so even without me knowing my grandfather, because he passed when my mother was very young, um, I took on a lot of personality traits from him. You know, just the way that I deal with my nieces and nephews, the the you know the younger children in the family. Uh, the way that I carry myself and and that I dress, but then interestingly enough, when when um, 
I was kind of taken in by, by my godmother through, you know, I had some, some tumultuous things happen as a kid and whatever. And I ended up spending, um, you know, my, my later childhood years with my godmother and, uh, she and her sister were both into fashion. They, they both, uh, you know, sold, you know, ladies clothing, um, for as a, as a side business. And so I was kind of always around fashion in a way, uh, and sort of always kind of, uh, being aware of what I was, what I was dressing like and what I was looking like and sort of having that expanded, um, opportunity to, to get clothing. Cause I didn't grow up, you know, wealthy or anything. And so my godmother, she didn't have any, uh, any, any biological children. So she had a little bit of, of, uh, you know, expendable cash and income, you know, just, just disposable income. And so she was constantly allowing me to sort of explore my creativity through fashion by just going along with whatever. And, I, and sometimes I would have the most extravagant fashion if, if there are pictures anywhere floating around <laughs> because this is before digital film, you know. So uh, some of those actual photos that used to have to get printed out at the Photoshop, but Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the, you would see lots of colors, you would see lots of designs and, and patterns and, and things like that. But then my mom is also creative. My birth mother is creative as well. And so that, that sort of playing with colors and playing with concepts and things like that is, a, is something that I, I really did a lot when I was younger and somewhere along the way, because of, of, of just me being a little self-conscious and, and my teenage years sort of muted me in a way. Once I, so once I got to college, I got a little bit more muted with the colors and the choices that I made fashion wise. Uh, yeah. By society, by, by, you know, just, just wanting to sort of fit in, you know, not wanting to be misunderstood, you know, not wanting to, you know, and so I kind of, I kind of pulled back a bit, you know, and I think uh, uh, another part of that was the fact that, you know, with the with the career in opera that I was pursuing uh, at the time, because it, you know, everybody kind of looked at me as an anomaly in a way, because there there are lots of black people in opera, but in the arenas that I was in, I was usually the only one. And so, you know, trying to fit in, you know, through the through wearing classic styles, you know, I. I and and now I still wear classic styles, you know, things that don't really follow tr- fads or anything, but it's trendy still. Um, as as a result of of some some older colleagues, you know, sort of advising me and kind of saying, hey, you know, you could you could maximize your wardrobe by you know picking things that are classic, that are timeless, that mm-hmm. are you know, and then you can just kind of sprinkle in some things that sort of keep you in the trend, you know, but you know, not like killing yourself to constantly revamp or redo your whole wardrobe every year because of trends. You can just kind of, you know, be classic and sprinkle in the trends here and there, you know, so an accessory here or there, a certain type of shoes maybe or whatever. So I, I enjoy it because when you feel good, you you do good, you know, and when you look good, you feel good. And so, you know, part of, part of sort of affecting uh, one's demeanor has a lot to do with, you know, what you're thinking and maybe what you're wearing, uh, you know, because people also respond to you because uh, they start, they respond to you based on what they see because everybody sees you before they hear you in most cases. 
right. And it's interesting. I'm yeah. thinking, uh, you know, it's basically so that you have you have your creativity springing forward and 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 where it meets the world uh, and when all of the mm-hmm. things with that. I mean, is there, do you do you see a big difference between how you're presenting yourself in 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 a with fashion and clothing and style and and putting this record out into the world but what's the difference well, no, no actually i think i think because this is my second record but my first record with rsvp and it of course things changed dramatically because my first record i i felt compelled to sort of stay on a topic that was really a spiritual type of you know gospel topic you know but because my 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 mode of expression extends so far beyond and so, so much wider than just the gospel expression. You know, even on that record, I had songs on there that didn't necessarily fit the traditional mold of gospel. And so my, the music that I present is just as much of an extension of my creative voice as my fashion, maybe, or um, sort of, sort of the, the, the way that I carry myself. Because it is, it is one that has to kind of move in and out because these worlds are not the same. When, you know, the, the opera world is not the same as the R&D world. It's not the same as the educational world. It, these are like different worlds. Uh, and the jazz world is, is, is kind of all off to itself as well. You know, where you could have people who are to- totally focused on, on that and, and people in other worlds wouldn't even know their name, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what I'm trying to do, which is probably one of the most exciting parts of, of, of my creative expression is sort of trying to help everybody see the connectivity between them all. Even if that thread of connection is me and maybe a few other artists that they, that might feel comfortable even after I take on this challenge to, to sort of, come out and say, hey, you know, I'm an opera singer who does jazz too, or I'm a jazz singer who studied musical theater, you know, or whatever, you know what I mean? Just so that we can sort of tear the walls down because all of it is art and we need each other to survive, <laughs> you know, and, wow. and sort of siloing the way that we have in the 20th century won't be able to function that way. We won't be able to function that way in the 21st century. That's one of the quotes that's going in between the songs right there. It wouldn't be the, the beginning. That was beautiful. And, and I hear you loud and clear. And it's interesting to me um, that I have similar discussions um, with different robotop artists who are, don't know each other m- many times, who are, who are trying to kind of get to uh, what you just said at some stage, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Bring down, stress the commonalities. Find that find the th- find the connecting points, and not the not the uh, not the points of division. Well, I, exactly. I don't know you say it, but you said it best. So um, that's fantastic, and 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 kind of blows my mind. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, I, I just got got the whole thing right there. That's amazing. Um, if if do you want to say anything else? Um, you know, I we will have your bio, you know, up and available, uh, and whatever you write. But I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to write a few paragraphs. This is the story, you know. 
Well, one of the things that I, I remember, and this is this is probably going to, well, I mean, it's definitely going to date, you know, me and how old I am. Uh, but when I created my MySpace page many years ago, mm-hmm. you know, when they asked you sort of what did you want your UI, U, URL, um, you know, name to be. And I remember writing Vocal Chameleon. Uh, and because I knew that I wanted to, I, I've been doing this for a long time. Like I started studying jazz opera at the at jazz and opera at the exact same time when I started going to that performing arts high school, you know, where, where I teach now. And it was there that I developed this sort of, you know, duality that I could follow these two different paths. And, and I, I, I developed a passion for these paths. Uh, very early on and it's an equal passion in a way you know and a passion for teaching as well and so it just kind of kept adding different different levels of passion all to do with the arts all to do with sort of musical expression and creativity but sort of different ways of expressing it and and I think that I'd love to sort of I consider myself as a as a, as a vocal chameleon uh, when it comes to, to to the way that I express vocally because authenticity is something that I strive for uh, no matter what type of music or style of music that I'm singing in that you know if I'm singing an Italian aria I want to sing that authentically to where someone who only enjoys Italian arias would be able to enjoy my presentation as part of the standard of what they would expect uh, and the excellence that they would expect from somebody who only does that. And then the same thing when I go into a church and I sing gospel music or I sing classical uh, uh, sacred music or if I sing jazz, I, go, I just I, I, I like the mixture of styles, but I also like the ability to be authentic in that space. And so um, that's something that I, you know, I don't know how to communicate that to a public. I don't know necessarily how to say that in a, in a, in a, in a phrase or a quote or anything like that. but. You know, I really, I really would like for the public to know that that's part of my endeavor. You know, to to remain authentic, no matter what style of music that I'm performing, uh, because they might see me on a on an opera stage, and they might see me at a jazz festival. They also might see me at a gospel convention. You know what I'm saying? And in all of those locations, and in all of those arenas, I want them to experience an authentic expression of what that is without any distraction from the other styles that I do, you know? Yes, um, I understand. You know? Well, people, and, tend and, to, you know, people, people need to get their heads around it. They, they, they need to understand. It's not something that they see every day. And so we need to write the words yeah. to communicate that, you know, and oftentimes yeah, and I, and things mutually exclusive. Like, well, how can it, you know, I mean, if you throw two other things, you know, but, uh, basketball player and astronaut, you know, you'd be like, what? It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and because that's what, that's what I constantly, that's, I think that's part of, like I was saying, that's part of the misunderstanding that I was, I was dealing with on a regular basis was that people were, they were sort of scratching their heads, you know, like, how are you able to do this? And I even remember many years ago, because Sput and I have been working together for a long time, and we've been recording music from time to time. And I remember we were working on um, the, the sophomore album for God's Property many years ago, and it never got released, but we were working on it in the studio in pre-production. And I remember 
you know, being in, in the studio and needing to sort of warm up and, you know, because I couldn't hit a certain note that I was trying to hit on the, on the gospel record. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, let me warm up really quickly. And so I, I started warming up in the booth, but classically, you know, like, like warming up the way I would warm up as an opera singer, you know? Um, and, and he was just like, man, you know, your voice is so, you know, like you can switch it so, you know, so much that sometimes if I'm listening to a recording, I might not know it was you, you know, uh, based off of you know only the perspective that i've heard you know uh and and i i kind of like that element of surprise i like that element of authenticity to where people are like wow i can't even believe that 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 this is this is the same person because of how how much you're able to to sort of get into the authenticity of the other styles you know and i like i like that element of surprise i like i like sort of giving people things that are unexpected but still high quality you know so that i mean i guess that would be that would be something and i and i have to say i don't know how to include that i don't know how to say that you know i'm i'm hopefully you can say it or somebody you know that you know how to say it well (laughs) that's my job it it is you know i'll I'll keep working it until it until it comes to me and i'm glad we have it down in the recording in such a point yeah because that will uh keep me focused on that on trying to to distill that message uh, yeah, and one of one of the things, Lewis. Mm-hmm. One of the things, Lewis, that that I will say, and I know you got to go, but um, one of the things that I will say is that my experience in Europe, when I was in Europe, I I, I was still dealing with the concept of sort of breaking those walls down uh, between those different styles because I was I actually for a, a little while in Europe I started performing the non classical non operatic you know, gigs and music that I was doing uh, under a pseudonym because I was actually, for a little while, I was afraid because of all of the, the, the conversations that I had had leading up to my development that said, you know, you can't do this and that. You can't do this and that. If you're going to do all of that screaming and singing hard in church or in gospel music or, or you know, singing in these jazz clubs, you know, you, you run the risk of being disrespected or not respected in the opera world, you know, or not seen as a true operatic artist, you know. And, and so there was a bit of fear that I overcame uh, in the process of finding my joy, in the process of shedding this, this idea of being misunderstood to where, you know, now I'm, I'm ready and I feel confident that the world is able to accept me and all of the versatility that I bring to any stage that I am on uh, without any fear of rejection. Because I think that what I was afraid people would reject me based on, I think it's now one of my strongest marketing tools. Yes. Um, do people, do, do, when you see those people again, what do they say? I'm curious as to how people d- develop in their mindset. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, well, now, you know, some of the people who, no, they're just, they're, they're, they're right now, they're scratching their heads and saying, wow, I didn't think it was possible, but you have done it, you know, and, and, and one of the, the strongest ways of me sort of getting that message out, say, for instance, this past summer, I was in Europe and, uh, you know, I was singing opera, you know, I was singing opera in Europe this summer. But just this past, you know, this past December, 
you know, I, I was doing all kinds of things, lots of gospel events, lots of jazz events, you know, um, you know, still recording with, with the top, uh, you know, I still go to the studio from time to time and work with Kirk, you know, on different projects he's doing. And, and so just having, having the, the actual calendar and schedule that says, no, I am doing both things and they're both in high quality. And now there's video of it, <laughs> you know, the, the old Navy commercial coming out, which was not classical at all, you know, is more pop or R and B ish, you know what I'm saying? Uh, with a little flair of inspirational because of the, the way that the record was kind of crafted. There's got this kind of gospel choir sound on the end of it, but it is a, you know, it's a clearly um, kind of mainstream sort of, sort of type of record, um, you know, but then, having all of this, this stuff that I'm doing is so very visibly. So the people that now were, were sort of confused or, or saying that it wasn't possible are now kind of congratulating me on making it happen and seeing the, seeing the clear authenticity and the clear level of excellence in all of it is also very, uh, you know, it speaks for itself in a way, you know, to where people can't question what's authentic. Yeah, I mean, the, all of this seems to be about breaking down. You know, the obstacle to learning is, is, is really preconceived notions, right? So exactly. you're, you're educating people on a grand scale just by your very essence and, and deliberately. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah del- deliberately. <clears throat> wow. And it, it, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it's not always easy, but you know, what I, what I do find is that it is extremely exciting. Uh, you know, I love, I love being, uh, you know, this past spring, I was, uh, I did an opera in Louisiana. And because the same day that we did our final performance um, on that Sunday afternoon, they, they had the, the Grammys. And, and so here I was, at, while I was on stage, uh, at the, you know, singing opera, my friends were like, Sput was on stage receiving a Grammy, you know, for, uh, for the snarky puppy. Uh, the, the record that I had been on, you know, with Kirk, uh, received a Grammy. Wow. And so people, people, some of the, the, the donors, you know, and the guild members from the opera, the board of the opera company, came on stage after we were, we had finished taking our bows and they were coming on to greet all the, the performers on stage. The first thing that pe- some of the, the people said to me was, Hey, I heard you sing gospel uh, and you sing with Kirk. I really would love to, you know, you did an amazing job tonight, you know, but I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to get your record, your, your gospel record. And I'd love to do this and do that. And I was like, wow, that had never happened, you know? And so being, being in a setting, to where the, the versatility that I have actually is beca- is, has become an asset rather than a liability for me. Beautiful. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm just making a note here. I mean, you literally kind of won a Grammy while you were singing opera. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that might be the headline. Um, <laughs> One day, while performing opera, uh, you know, won a Grammy. All right, Nathan, thank you so much. All right, thanks a bunch. You too. Bye-bye.
Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks for listening to The Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. And you can also find us on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Our 21 Soul video series features in-person interviews, music discussion, and live performances. And you can find that on YouTube at Ropeadope99. Big thanks to our producer, Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DeRubo. The Station Tapes theme song is from Red Hook Soul by Michael Blake. And big thanks to all the people who keep the flame burning, to all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show.